this is the question. What are you missing today? Like, what are you missing now that we've been quarantined, now that uh, lives have been uh, upended and so forth? What are you missing right now? And I imagine it's people, right? Engaging with people. Maybe you miss just being together, getting together with your friends or getting together with family members you haven't seen for a while. Maybe it's people that you're missing. Maybe some of you are actually missing going to work, actually getting in your car and going to work and being with other people and coworkers. You might actually miss that by now. Or maybe you're missing just going, simple things that we take for granted, like going out and grabbing something to eat with some friends or grabbing a meal together at a local restaurant or hanging out together. So those are the things that you may be missing today. And you know one thing that I'm missing right now, and maybe you are too, sports. Everything has stopped in sports. I don't even know if ESPN still exists, but I heard the last thing they were showing was Australian football, but then that got canceled. So I don't even know what they're covering except maybe what Tom Brady had for breakfast yesterday. But otherwise, there's no sports going on. We don't even know, uh, you know, there's no way for me to be a fan of anything, right? We miss spring training and we miss... uh, uh, opening day for spring opening day for Major League Baseball, NBA is down, but March Madness got canceled. Everything seems to be canceled as a sports fan. And I, so I miss being a sports fan. I miss celebrating when my team wins and complaining when they lose. Isn't that what we do as fans? You know, when, when our team wins, we throw the jersey on, we celebrate, we high five each other. That's gone away because they're not winning or losing, right? But when they lose, what do we do? We, we blame somebody, we complain about the coach, we complain about the owner, we complain about the team. And this is what it's like to be a fan, right? And actually, we enjoy being fans. I'm actually missing being a fan because I'm not really connected in any way to the team. I don't know the players. I don't have a relationship with them. I'm just a fan. I would tell you today that to be in the resurrected life, to experience the resurrected life that we've been talking about in this series called The Lazarus Project. To experience the resurrection life means you can't just be a fan of God. You can't be disconnected and complain when things go bad and, and also praise and celebrate when things go good. That's just being a fan. But to be in relationship with God is to be a follower, to be a devoted follower. And the resurrected life experience is about being a fully devoted follower and not just a fan of Jesus Christ. And we're going to actually look at that today as we look at this text, this story of this dinner that's held in Jesus' honor and then his triumphal entry, his entry into Jerusalem today. So we're going to be looking at this. So, and what's been happening in this text is that uh, Jesus has been away, right? We actually, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and then after that, the Pharisees got, up, got upset because crowds were going after Jesus, following Jesus because of this. So Jesus actually goes and hides in Ephraim. He actually does, goes away because the religious leaders are actually trying to find a way to sacrifice him, to arrest him. And so he has to flee until this entry into Jerusalem. And so he's actually in hiding when this happens. And then he comes back and he's at this dinner uh, with uh, Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're having a dinner in his honor because of what he's done for them, and they're celebrating uh, what Jesus is doing in their lives with their brother Lazarus. But I want to raise up a couple things. I want to let you know that really this is a very tense moment for Jesus. It's a tense moment for the disciples. It's a tense moment for Lazarus because they're actually wanting to kill Lazarus and Jesus because of this resurrection that occurred for Lazarus. And so this whole moment in the gospel of John, this whole story right now is a pivotal moment. And what happens is that one of the high priests, his name was Caiaphas, says, 
you know, why shouldn't we just kill Jesus? Why don't we sacrifice one for the needs of the many to protect everybody else from the Roman government? So there's this tension in the text right here, this tension between the needs of the many and the needs of the one. That's the tension that they find themselves in. And so there, that's a bit of tension. The other ten, as we keep looking at the story, the other thing that we see is that um, when Jesus is reclining at the table and Lazarus is there and they're having this meal in his honor together, um, and that, that Mary comes and she takes a pure pint of pure nard perfume, fragrant perfume, and she anoints Jesus from head to toe. And then she does this, and it's a beautiful thing that she does. It's an act of adoration, an act of worship. But in the midst of that act, there's another person, a disciple. His name's Judas, who was the keeper of the money. He was the treasurer of the group, so to speak. And he says, well, we could, couldn't we have given this to the poor? Which was a common political topic of the day to talk about how the, or they were caring for the poor. And so this raises some tension in the room, right? This tension between Mary's act of, of generosity and gratitude and honor and adore, adoration of Jesus and Judas's complaint of social responsibility. And that's really the tension we see, this tension between adoration or worship and social responsibility. It's an argument we actually see today all the time that people uh, argue that for social responsibility and social justice and, and they think that it's devoid of worship and I don't have a, there's a whole nother message, a whole nother sermon, but really worship and social responsibility, social justice actually go together. They're not separate tensions. But in this case, they're a tension that exists in our society and ex- existed in Jesus' day as well. And then the other thing that's happening here is that as Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem and the crowds are hailing him as liberator and as king, they're saying, you're going to be the next king of Israel. They're waving palm branches and they're laying their cloaks down at his feet and he's riding on a donkey. He's not riding on a military steed, a a military horse. He's coming and he's bringing peace and he's saying, I'm coming to bring you peace. I'm coming to bring peace to the people. I'm coming to bring you and me today peace. But what's happening for the religious leader and religious community and ultimately the, the whole city of Jerusalem is they're, they're concerned that there's going to be an uprising. They're concerned about what might happen. And so the, what's set into the leadership and the, some of the community leaders is panic. They're panicking because they're afraid this is going to upset uh, the apple cart, so to speak, that things are going to get out of control. And so there's this tension between panic and peace, right? There's this tension between, you know, is this place going to erupt and into panic and, and, and riots and so forth, or is Jesus really going to bring us peace? And I would suggest to you today, whatever tension that you and I are in today, God wants to bring you peace today. God wants to bring us peace. God is the bringer of peace, not panic today. And so I want you to keep that in mind. But there, amidst all these tensions, right, this, this is a tense moment. This is a pivotal moment at this dinner, and yet, despite the religious leaders, and we can, you've heard sermons, you've heard messages before probably about Jesus and the disciples here and Lazarus and, and all the religious leaders and the crowds and the fans of Jesus. But one thing that we often skip over is really the person who kind of understood what was going on. There was one person in the whole story that understood exactly what was happening in the midst of all the tension. Wouldn't you love to be that person? Would you love to be the person who, in the midst of panic and tension and chaos, really has everything figured out and knows what's happening? Wouldn't you like to be that person? I know I would. 
And there's one person in this story who is that person, and her name's Mary. Mary is the unsung hero of this story. Because amidst all these other things going on, amidst all the tension, Mary understands best what's happening to Jesus and understand what best what's happening this week. And she gets it. She understands it. So I want to, there's some things that we can actually learn from Mary today. And I want to talk about those things we learned from Mary in the midst of tension to maybe help us in the midst of our own tension today and panic and fear and anxiety, right? So what's Mary doing? Well, first of all, there's a few things we can see in Mary. The first thing we see about Mary is that Mary's devotion to Jesus contrasts Judas's greed. So Mary, when she is so devoted to Jesus that she pours out a whole year's wages on Jesus in this perfume, she anoints him from head to toe, and the fragrance, it says, filled the room. I want you to imagine what that would have been like to actually be in the room and smell the fragrant offering of Mary, right? And in the midst of this beautiful act of generosity and gratitude and worship and adoration, somebody complains, right? His name's Judas. And Judas makes a political argument. He makes an argument for social responsibility for the poor. But really, he's hiding behind that argument. He's hiding behind that criticism because it's really his own selfishness and self-centeredness and greed that's at work in his heart in making the comment. And Jesus sees right through it. But I think Mary's devotion to Jesus, her worship of Jesus, is actually important here. When I think about this, like, what if we had taken a video? What if it happened today? What if this event, this happened, this story happened today, and I took, you or I took out our iPhones as Mary was doing this to Jesus, and we recorded it, made a video of it, and we posted it on social media? And what kind of responses would we get? We'd get two responses. We'd get people who would comment and say, oh, Mary, that was wonderful. It was a beautiful thing that you did. So, so gracious. And wow, uh, what an awesome offering. You gave a whole year's wages to, to honor Jesus. And he, you know, you, he saved your brother's life. He, he deserves it. So you would have heard those comments. And the other comments you would have heard were, would be critical comments, right? Like, oh, that was a waste of money, or that was a waste of perfume, or that was a waste. Why, they, why did she waste it? You know, there's so many people in need around the world. There are all these people who could have used that. This could have helped people in another country. You know, you would have heard that argument, that criticism of social responsibility as well. And maybe you've done something beautiful. Maybe you said something positive, or you've put something out into cyberspace, so to speak, or into the social media world, and people have criticized you for doing something good or doing something beautiful or doing something that worshiped God or honored God and you got criticized for it. Well, you're in good company because that's what exactly what happened to Mary. And those people who comment and hide behind those arguments are just trying to manipulate the situation because really it's something going on inside of them that they're wrestling with, they're dealing with. They're hiding behind their political statements. They're just being the Judases of our day to complain and to criticize and to argue when really they're just not really feeling great about themselves and they can't seem to appreciate what it looks like to honor God, to worship God, to say God is a part of my life, right? So that's part of that. And that's what I think would happen today as well. There would have been that also devotion versus argument of social responsibility. So the other thing that Mary does in this, in this story, though, is that her humility in wiping Jesus' feet models Jesus later washing the feet of the disciples. So I want you to think about this, that before Jesus ever gives us this beautiful act of washing his disciples' feet, 
Mary is wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair and the perfume. And he would have been anointed from head to toe. And I, I kind of wonder about the beauty of that act and her devotion and her service and her hum- humility. And I wonder too, I, I wonder if Jesus could still smell it on his hair when he was on the cross. Think about that. I mean, Jesus didn't take a shower that week, probably. He probably didn't take a bath. So the fragrance of that nard in his hair was with him when they placed the crown of thorns on his head later that week. To think about her act of humility, her act of service that was carried with Jesus all week long, did it encourage him? Did it strengthen him in some way that week? So her devotion to Jesus, her humility, is actually modeling what we're all supposed to be about in the midst of our own tension, right? To look out for others, to care for others, to serve others, to humble ourselves and think of the people around us and not just think of ourselves. Because our world right now is driven by self-importance and self-centeredness and people are striving for self-importance and power, right? And that's where Judas was, right? And that's where some of the disciples were. They're later arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is, meanwhile, strapping on a towel and taking out a towel and a basin and washing their feet in an act of humility to remind them that they're not there to be the greatest. They're not there for their own importance. They're there to serve others, to care and love for other people. And Mary, though, is the first one that does that, not the disciples, not even Jesus. Mary is the first one to do that act and to humble herself at the feet of Jesus. And then the other thing that I love about Mary is that amidst all this going on, Mary is the one that accepts the death of Jesus while the disciples question it. Mary, when she anoints Jesus, she's actually anointing him for burial, it says in the text. She understands that Jesus is going to die. He's going to be the one to give his life for them. The disciples later are questioning Jesus. They're always saying, you know, we we don't believe you, Jesus, no way. And Peter's even the one that steps in and he says, Jesus, you're not going to die. I will not let that happen. And Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Mary, Mary's not in denial. Mary's accepting the death of Jesus, and she's honoring Jesus for what he's about to do. She sees through all the chaos. She sees through all the politics. She sees through all the dynamics between the religious leaders and Jesus and her brother Lazarus and the disciples and their questions. Through all this, the one person who accepts the death of Jesus is Mary, and she is willing to anoint him with what she has, and she's so devoted to him. Her devotion to Jesus is there. Now, I think about this devotion to Jesus, and I wonder, why is it that Mary is so devoted and understands what's happening despite all the chaos around her? How is it that she gets it when the rest of the world doesn't? The fans, the followers, everybody. Why does she understand it when no one else does? Well, there's something we know else we know about Mary. And that is that Mary, in another story, sat at the feet of Jesus. That Jesus came to her house one day for dinner, and Martha was in the kitchen cooking, and Mary was the one sitting. And what, when, what, what it means for her to sit at the feet of Jesus was meant that she listened to Jesus. She sat, and she listened to his teaching, and she listened to his words, and she listened to what he was saying, and she received them. She took them in. That's what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. She actually submitted herself to his teaching and to his, her lead, his leadership in her life. 
Well, Martha gets, uh, you know, Martha comes and complains, says, why, you know, why aren't you helping me in the kitchen? And Jesus says, she's chosen the better thing. And here again, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet after anointing him with this perfume, this nard, and wiping his feet with her hair. She's again at the feet of Jesus. There's something about being with Jesus, listening to Jesus, being in relationship to Jesus in the midst of chaos that helps us. <laughs> helps us to understand, helps us to see, and here's the other thing, helps us to be at peace. Because that's exactly where Mary is. She's at peace amidst the chaos and the panic and the tension. So what is she doing? She's spending time listening to Jesus. That's why she gets it. That's why she understands what's going on. So I want to encourage you to do that today. You may be coming online sometimes Sunday morning or sometime on Sunday, but here's what I want to encourage you to do today. I want you to spend some extra time with God today. I want you to do what I, we call a two-a-day. You know, a lot of people like work out once a day, but if you really want to get fit, you got to work out twice a day. You might work out in the morning and work out in the evening. I want to encourage you today to do a spiritual, spend some time spiritually, spend some time talking to God today. I want you to do a two-a-day today. So not just watch this message and spend some time with the music here this morning, but I want you to take some more time today to get by yourself to spend some time with God. Maybe you spend some time praying, talking to God. Maybe find a quiet corner of your house to do that. If you can't do that, go out for a walk and just as you're walking, have a conversation with God. Spend some time getting connected to the one who loves you more than you can imagine and the one who wants to bring you peace in your life. Spend some time with God today, extra time with God today, and experience God's peace in your life. Maybe you need to pull out a journal and just journal some thoughts and some prayers down. And we're actually going to give you, I'm going to give you some questions to reflect on in your journal or discuss at home around with your family. So I'm going to give you those questions as well. But I want you to encourage you today to take some extra time to be with God, to be with Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life today. So do that. Don't just do it this morning. Do it again. And if you want to, do it every day this week, even better. But spend, spend some extra time at the feet of Jesus yourself to experience what Jesus wants to bring. Now, here are some questions for you to discuss with your family, with your friends at home, or maybe in your journal, or whatever you, however you decide to practice or discuss these questions. So here's the, here they are. What's the most extravagant thing you have ever done for God? Talk about that. Share that experience. Maybe it's been big, maybe it's been little, but what's the most extravagant thing you've ever done for God? Number two, what ways does self-importance, your own self-importance, get in the way of devotion, your own devotion to God? How is the self-centeredness, the self-importance, the search for significance sometimes getting in the way of your own followership and devotion? And then number three, are you a fan? Would you describe yourself as a fan or a devoted follower? Are you a fan of God, of Jesus, of the Spirit, or are you a devoted follower. And then why or why not? What, what's, that, what's that about? And just share that with other people around you. And then if you're so inclined and you have uh, able to, just spend some time just uh, praying together about those answers and questions and ha- after you discuss them. So I'd encourage you to do that at home. So I want you to say one more thing this morning. And that is, you know, we talked a lot about today that there was this tension, right? There are all these tensions and somehow Mary is able to cut through all the tension. Wouldn't you, and I said, wouldn't you like to be that person? Wouldn't you like to be the person that is the calm, peaceful, non-anxious person in the midst of all the chaos and panic and tension? Well, I'm going to actually tell you how that works. So 
whenever you, whenever there's tension, you know, there's a band, I've got a physical therapy band with me, but what happens is we, we like to keep things pretty much status quo. We like to keep things pretty much the same. We don't like ultimately like changes humans and we like reality to be kind of consistent. And what's been happening is that our reality has been anything but consistent. And so because of that, it raises the tension. It creates tension in us. And so now what used to be reality is no longer reality and the reality has changed and it creates this tension in us, right? So our natural inclination is one to want bring to bring back reality, right? Reduce the tension, come back to where things were. We want to go back to the way things were, right? And that's how we think we're going to reduce the tension. But I want to say to you that Mary doesn't do that. Mary reduces the tension by raising herself up towards what's happening in God. And she begins to turn her life back towards God in devotion to God. And that brings her peace and reduces the tension. So what does she do? Well, the first thing she does, right, is she reduces the tension by worshiping God, right? By looking up to God and worshiping God, she's actually reducing the tension in her heart and mind. She's trusting God in the midst of the tension. The other thing that she does is instead of looking out for herself and creating more tension with other people, What she's doing is she's raising herself to humility. She's using humility to reduce the tension, to take herself out of the way so that she can be there for other people and care for other people. And that's reducing the tension for her. And then the last thing I would say is that instead of denying the future, instead of denying the new reality of Jesus' death, she accepts it. And acceptance actually helps her reduce the tension in her life. So Mary's a great example of someone who doesn't try and go back to the way things were, but she, in her own spirit, worships, and she humbles herself, and she accepts what's going on around her. And the reason that she's able to do that is because she's fully surrendered to God. She has surrendered herself to Jesus's guidance and leadership in her life. And here's the thing. We won't ever be humble. We won't ever be accepting We won't ever be calm in the midst of the storm if we are not surrendered to God. And my prayer for you to experience good peace in the resurrected life, the best way for us to experience peace in the resurrected life is to simply surrender all those fears, surrender all those things, surrender our lives to what God is doing and accept what God is doing, humble ourselves and to receive God's peace. And I pray, and we're going to pray right now for you to receive God's peace into your life. So I'd invite you to pray with me right now. God, thank you that you are the bringer of peace. You are not the bringer of panic. You are the one who brings uh, humility to us and calls us to care for others. You're the one who wants to resurrect us and give us new life in the Spirit. And so, Lord, in the midst of all the tension we find ourselves in, maybe we're in tension at home because we've been around the same people a lot. And that's created tension. Maybe we're in tension because we don't know about our jobs or what's happening at our workplaces. Maybe we're in tension because we're looking at our finances and we don't know what you're going to do, how that we're going to be provided for. There's all this tension around us right now, God. But God, you say, I want to bring you peace in the midst of the tension. So Lord, I pray for us to surrender. Surrender to you. To surrender to your will for our lives. To surrender and accept what you have for us ultimately to surrender and be in relationship with you. And we know that when we surrender ourselves and our fears 
and everything and our attention to you. You bring us peace. In fact, you promise us peace. So I pray we come to you today, God. We surrender all these things and we surrender ourselves to you and we thank you for the peace that you want to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.